Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jay. Got a fun episode for you guys today. Do we? I do. I like these because it means I can just basically close my laptop down unless I need to what fact check. What are we doing? Unless I need to fact check you. Okay. And then I can open up my laptop. But generally, we're I can just listen and hang out and learn something. About I'm excited. what? I don't know. Okay, so we're <laughs> doing a history story that you have no idea what it is. As usual, I don't know what's going on, which is fun because I get to learn and experience what Jake has. He's he's excited over here, guys. I like he's this excited. One. He's excited. So as with a lot of these stories, I found a photo. It always starts for me with an old historic photo for some reason. It's like, what and the I hell go, was this what guy? What is going on there? <laughs> what the hell and is this guy thinking? And then I do some digging, and I read the story, and then usually I have to dig deeper and find out the story is even crazier than you ever thought. Or you get on some tangent where some news story comes out. and Right. Yeah, yeah. So what, what do we got? What's going on? Well, Chris, what is the mantra of Overcrest? Explore. Take, Take the, the car. car. Yes. Right. And as we have expounded before, it's not an instruction to go drive from point A to point B. It's a call to get out and explore, to take the back roads and use the automobile as a tool of exploration. Yes. Well, in that vein, this might be one of the best history stories I've ever dug up. Ooh. That's a big, the, I mean. The why will become apparent later, but before we get ahead of ourselves, let me set the stage for us here. Okay. I'm ready. Enter, I'm excited because you're talking my language right now. Enter Jack Abernathy. <laughs> John R. Jack Abernathy was born on January 28, 1876 in Bose County, Texas to Martin Van Buren Abernathy, who was a veteran of the Confederate Army serving in the Waco Rifle Division. Martin Van Buren... So this is Texas? Correct. Okay. Martin Van Buren had fought through the Vicksburg and Atlanta campaigns before being injured and taken prisoner of war for a time. This is during the Civil War, okay. of course. Martin Van Buren met and so I have fell a in love. I have a question. What's that? Was Texas part of the? It was part of the South, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that was he was yeah. a Confederate Army soldier. Okay. Uh, so Martin Van Buren had fought through the war. He then fell in love with a widow of another Confederate soldier, Kitty. I'm gonna. What? Her name's Kitty. Oh, okay. I'm guessing there was a lot of widows around this time. There was, I think, yeah, it was, a lot of widows. It was a good time to be a dude if you were alive. If you were alive, and there was probably chicks everywhere. Yeah. 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 Some Unfortunately. Of them, some but, of them did have some baggage, too. Yeah, I'm sure. There's kids everywhere, because what do you do? You just have kids. Right. What, what do you have to do back then during the Civil War? You can... <laughs> if, <laughs> right? You know? Loving where this is I mean, going. You can, okay, what are we if, doing? If you can afford a book, you can read a book. If Otherwise, you know how to read the book in the first right, place. Yes. That's the bigger step. So you're cleaning guns or fucking. That's all you're doing. <laughs> That's the two things I, that you're doing. What about you drinking a lot? And you're drinking. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, those all go hand in hand. Cleaning guns, drunk, and doing other Naturally. things drunk. All go hand Naturally. in hand. Yeah, so Martin Van Buren found Kitty, and Kitty and Martin were soon married, and in addition to the four sons and two daughters from her first marriage, yeah, see? the couple had five additional children. See, I'm not wrong. That's a lot of kids. So why did they have so many kids? Eleven kids. Why did they have so many? Because they died. Yes, it's and you like needed the Oregon be... Trail. <laughs> yeah. Well, if ever, all everybody's buying is bullets, everybody's dead. That's for sure. <laughs> well, that's all you would do. You play the game, right? You'd, yeah. you, you'd have the ability to buy provisions and drinks and water, uh -huh. and, but all you would do is buy like spend all your money on bullets and go buffalo hunting. and go buffalo hunting Correct. every time, or just yes. shoot a rabbit and everybody would starve to death because no buffalo, <laughs> no buffalo showed up. But 
realistically, one that of the reasons contraception why contraception really wasn't a thing. Not really, not really. But it, yeah, but it, it was still, you knew the the cycle was something that people knew, right? I mean, you knew what was going on with that. I think that was well known at the time. You would hope so, but depends on needed, that reading part. You needed kids to work. Yes. Right. You needed children to work. They were part of your farm. Right. They were part of your. They were your employees. Yeah. Martin didn't need his kids to work, though. Why was he loaded? Well, the next year, President Teddy Roosevelt appointed Martin as the U.S. Marshal for the Western District of Oklahoma. That position made him the youngest U.S. Marshal in history. While the idea of being a U.S. Marshal in the western frontier of Oklahoma, it sounds like the perfect job for a grizzly veteran of war. The job was, in fact, quite cush. So the status of a top federal law enforcement official in that state granted Martin a salary of $5,000 per year plus expenses. So, And this is in the 1880s or 90s. Okay, so he's doing all right. He's doing all right. So what does a U.S. Marshal do back then? He is basically like the detective slash... Is he head of law enforcement, He's head of law enforcement. So it's, just, it's all his jurisdiction. Yes. Okay. So I think he has deputies and sheriffs in different, you know, districts and areas, but he is the guy. Okay. He's head of law I think sheriffs are different. I think sheriffs are by county. Okay. So, and I think... But wouldn't he appoint them? No. I think sheriffs are elected. Okay. I don't think they're appointed. I think sheriffs are Even elected back in their counties. in the Oklahoma Territory. Yeah. I have, no, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, even so, this was still basically the Wild West at the time. So, Mr. Aber- or Van Martin... What is his name? Martin Van Buren. Okay. Abernathy. Mr. Mr. Martin Van Buren Abernathy. Got Correct. It. Okay. Yes. So it he's making good money, but it is still a wild Can we just call him West. Marty? Can you just say Marty from now on? No, because there's a lot of different guys here. Okay. So we need to we need to specify. This is okay. This is Mr. Abernathy. So there's multiple Martins. There's a lot of Abernathys. Okay. Okay. So sure, Marty. Okay, Marty. Marty, he's doing well, but it's still basically the Wild West at the time, and it made for an interesting upbringing for the couple's youngest son, Jack Abernathy. At the age of six, Jack worked as a pianist in a saloon down in Sweetwater, Texas. Now, my assumption is that he actually moved down to the heart of Texas alone because there's no mention of his parents from here on. So remember, they're living up in Oklahoma Territory. Jack, six years old, by himself, goes down to the heart of Texas to work as a musician in a saloon. So there's the loneliest pianist ever in Texas at six years old. (laughs) Right. That sounds bizarre. I don't believe you. And apparently... Well, no, you're, are you, you're serious. This kid is no, six I'm years serious. old. No, I'm serious. This is, this is what, a fact. What do you do? How? How do you, do you just it's, get It's out? so much ri- more ridiculous than you think. Listen okay. to this. So, like, when you think of an old-timey saloon and the piano player in there, it's like the corny Western. And they're like, okay, that, that's just how they showed it in the movies. That can't possibly be what it was like. Could you imagine being in one of these towns where they just have one pianist for everyone? And then some... <laughs> <laughs> but what if the pianist gets shot? Then there's no penis for anyone. <laughs> I hate your joke, but I love your lead up. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Okay, but but truly, yes. imagine a saloon without a pianist. Yes, that would be terrible. It'd be a well, tragedy. Like, there's another level of joke in there too, because a lot of the saloons were, were brothels, right? Yeah, and then you get syphilis, and your pianist would fall would off. fall off. <laughs> <laughs> so no, here's here's a clip from an old timey, just corny western that sets the stage. Thank you. 
This is a very sad song, Jake. It is a little sad. It's the ballad of the penis. And somebody just got shot. Right. Nice technique, huh? And then Robert Fredford <laughs> makes a, a sly comment. So you're like, okay, it's probably not like that. No, it was 100% exactly like that. Listen to this. Young Jack survived a gun battle in the saloon that left bullet holes in the piano he was playing. Well, he's a small penis, so he, I mean, it's everything. It's not a big target. <laughs> Stop with the profession, the name of the profession. You're like a 12 year old child here. It, yes, it's true. Okay. Okay. Yes, but basically, I that's won't talk Jack. about penis. He's anymore. down in a totally different area without his family, making a name for himself. The other fun fact is, as a saloon. I'm going to call him musician now so we can get away from this. He actually made, what did the, what was the quote? He made more than anyone else in the saloon by far. It's very important. Without the, right. Without so the, it was something like most of the cowhands that would come in and drink there, what they would make in a month, Jack would make half of that in one night. Just from tips. Just tips and whatever. Yeah. yeah so was he good? Most He must tips. have been good. I mean, I think he lived in a nice home up north for his first Six years, I guess, Come, in Oklahoma. Okay. I still am having I know, trouble. He's six years old. I'm, he's six years old, Chris. This is the weirdest thing. We you are, go into a saloon. All this you does. You want to drink. You're hearing this, and you're like, wait, why is there a midget on the piano? Oh, no, he's actually just six years old. Yeah, he's just a small human being. So my question is, is how soft are we now? Where we oh, can, like, big time. In comparison. Just you wait. Okay. This is setting the stage for this entire story. Okay. Okay, so while this traumatic incident would have been enough to send any grown man, let alone a six-year-old child, running back to his home in Oklahoma, it only emblazoned young Jack. Three years later... Also could have emboldened him. I liked emblazoned. Well, that means you... You, you set him on fire? <laughs> you, did I use the wrong term? You did. Like, if, if, you were, if he was the best pianist ever and someone gave him, a, like, a patch, his chest would be emblazoned with the patch oh, of the best pianist. You it's, don't know that's not what happened. It's, <laughs> it's very possible. He was emboldened. He was emboldened. Yes, yes he was. You he, was he was emboldened. So, three years later, at the age of nine, he became a full-time range rider on the AKX Ranch, where it was his job. He's a ranch hand at nine? Yes. Not only that. What, is he riding a pony? It's <laughs> His job to patrol the open range, protecting cattle from predators and thieves alike. So he's running around with a lever-action rifle, just... Well, the fact that a full-framed forty-five revolver was too heavy for the little boy was no problem. He just carried a thirty-eight instead. <laughs> so his time on the ranch made him quite the expert rider. And at the age of 15, won himself a job as the top Bronco Buster and first saddle on a different ranch, the J.A. Ranch. At 18, he then fell in love with the, quote, gray-eyed music teacher, Jesse Pearl Jordan. Oh, boy, here we go. The only problem was that Miss Jordan's family didn't approve of this rough cowboy and refused to let them marry Chris. That wouldn't stop Jack, however, as he devised an elaborate plan to elope in 1894, brandishing his pistol at porters trying to block their path one step ahead of her angry family. So he wants to marry young Pearl. Yep. Or Jordan. Jordan Pearl. And how old is he yet when he's wanting he's to marry? He's 18. Okay, so we've we finally... He's, I mean, that's pretty old as far as like what he's... full-grown pianist. <laughs> <laughs> but when you figure he mastered his first profession at six, like getting married at 18 in this time in day... Is really late, I think. I don't know. I think that's you got married young because you wanted to get the workforce going. <laughs> More musicians. More no. Well, you think you want if he's on a ranch, you want hands. These are 
workers you don't have to pay until they are of age. Like six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, before we go too much further, let's take a moment to talk about Petrolbox. Petrolbox is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all the latest and greatest to be sent right there to your doorstep. There are actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. You have the Petrobox Basic, which costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gives you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout. That'll get you $6 off your first month's order. All right. All right, so Jack is one badass dude with all of his exploits. But what comes next has to be the single most badass thing I can ever think of. That's saying a lot. You because see, we, some of the people we've had on this podcast, it's pretty serious. We've had World War II aces. We've had right. pilots for S-71 yes, Blackbirds. Setting the bar high. Okay, so you, you truly believe this. I do. Okay. Would you like to hear about Jack's hobby? Okay. It was his claim to fame. It was his ability to jump from horseback and wrestle with wild wolves and coyotes, sticking his hand down their jaw to immobilize them, then wiring their muzzle shut and binding their legs. He literally tracked down wild wolves and hogtied them for fun. So he would stick his arm down their mouth? Yes. He's like, well, he can't bite me if I stick my whole arm down your throat. Good grief. <laughs> Who is this guy? He's Jack the Wolf Hunter. No. The skill bestowed him a nickname that would follow him for the rest of his life. Jack Catch Him Alive Abernathy. Ooh. Because he didn't hunt like the it. wolf to kill him. I wonder what women thought of that. Hey, it's Catch Him Alive. Catch Him Alive. Yeah. Stories of this man's unusual talent and wild exploits made their way to none other than President Teddy Roosevelt, who, remember, was a bit of a badass himself. He was. Having led the notorious Rough Riders. And who are the Rough Riders? Uh. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh huh. Can I turn this off yet? No, you gotta get. You gotta wait. You gotta wait. Okay, now I get. Okay, I got it. No, not those Rough Riders. So, who are the Rough Riders? So, the Rough this Riders. Teddy Roosevelt was one of the most, if not the most badass dude president we've had. Oh, 100%. I think. Like, if you think of. Think of, I, I mean, even... Just any reason. Yeah, think of Joe Biden or George Bush. Just basically grew up rich and just yeah floated the wave of, of government, right? You're just yeah. like, think of a guy suckling off the government teat as our president compared to this guy. Yeah, so the Rough Riders was actually a nickname given to the first United States volunteer cavalry, the only such cavalry to see combat in the Spanish-American War. And he basically had his whole platoon or cavalry of guys that basically followed him through his whole life. After his presidency, these were his guys. They were his names. His rough riders. I love it. Yeah. It's for real cavalry, though. So we're talking about dudes with guns running around on horses. Yes. Okay, so this is... Yeah. Yeah, yeah got yeah. it. He also did a whole bunch of other stuff. I could make a whole episode about Roosevelt, but he does have an interesting tie-in with this story. So feeling a kinship to this Jack Abernathy, Roosevelt trekked down to Fredericksburg, Texas in 1905 to meet the 29-year-old wolf catcher. Teddy later described the man as, quote, not more than five foot two, but built like an ox and with muscles like steel. I like that. I wish someone would describe me that way. Yeah. 
Jack took the president on a five-day hunting expedition in Oklahoma Territory's big pasture, leaving Roosevelt to declare, quote, this beats anything I've seen in my life, and I've seen a good deal. So he took a wolf wrestling. <laughs> Do you think, did Teddy jump off and try some? I, there was no mention of if Teddy tried it. So he's just standing there mouth agape watching yeah, this other probably. dude do this. Uh, the men would become lifelong friends. Jack went on to start a family with his wife, having two sons, Louis Bud Abernathy and Temple Abernathy. I'm finding it funny that everyone in this time had a nickname, but I guess it makes sense. If a guy is notable enough for you and I to be talking about them over 100 years later, it makes sense they would develop a nickname somewhere along the line. Yes. Well, Mike, do you have a nickname? No. I have a nickname. My dad gave me, my nickname was Weasel. Was yeah, my but nickname. no one calls you that today. I know, but that's the only nickname I've ever had is Weasel or Iron Cowboy. We did who, have, ga- I, who gave you that? Someone on the rally who's called me the Iron Cowboy. I'll, I can take that. that would no, be that's not a nickname. Chris a Iron nickname Cowboy. has to be something that people refer to you as without you being like, yeah, call me the Iron Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's always the first guy that calls somebody something. Uh-huh. I, You're just saying that because now you want people to call you that. And I, I can, refuse to call you that. Oh, man. No. No? No. No? No. <laughs> Please? No. <laughs> All right, so young uh, Temple and Bud Abernathy were sons of Jack. And their mother died from unknown causes a short time after they were born. And with a father like Jack Abernathy, they were already becoming hardened men. At ages nine and five, the boys asked to ride their horses from Oklahoma to Santa Fe, where they wanted to see the new mansion of the governor. With every confidence in their horsemanship, Jack laid down some guidelines, opened a checking account for each of them with $100 a piece in it, and encouraged them to saddle up. You have to think, if your dad is the guy that was in saloon shootouts at age six, yeah, he kind of has a different level of like perspective. Yes. Yeah. They set out in June of 1909 in a journey that was covered by not only local newspapers, but the New York Times. Quote, Anxious to emulate the strenuous life and carry out in their father's instructions to toughen up, Temple and Louis Abernathy, aged five and eight, respectively, sons of United States Marshal John Abernathy, left late today for a 1,300-mile horseback trip. Despite the hoopla surrounding their trek, the Santa Fe trip had been riddled with near disaster. Bud's horse, Sam Bass, that's what he named his horse, who is that's like Sam. naming your dog Fred? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, I have a Hank. Yeah, yeah. Sam Bass, uh, he borrowed from his father, and the Shetland pony mix named Geronimo were sure-footed. But Temple contracted diarrhea by drinking gypsum water, which I had to look up. Gypsum water apparently refers to a sulfur-laden water that, when drank, actually dehydrates a person. Uh huh. Hence the diarrhea. Uh, Temple then managed to sprain both ankles trying to dismount his pony. Bud was forced to lie awake one night, firing his shotgun into the darkness towards a pack of wolves that circled as his brother slept. Slept through the shotgun shots? Well, true. That that part doesn't matter. Well, it depends how diuretically wasted you are. Yes. Um, But I'm just, his dad wrestles wolves. Right. So you'd think he'd do better than just yeah. like shooting into well, the Well, the, the second generation is never as badass. Just, yeah. Just uh, how, how, how old are your daughters? Seven and eight, pretty much. Okay, so they're older than these two kids who he let just go off across the country on horses. 
Keep that in mind, please. Um, let's see. The boys ran out of both food and water between stops and were saved by the kindness of strangers. The most notable point in the adventure didn't concern the boys at all, however. At some point in the journey, their father, Jack, received a note scribbled by the point of a lead-tipped bullet on a brown paper sack addressed to the Marshal of Oklahoma. It read, quote, I don't like one hair on your head, but I do like the stuff that is in these kids. We shattered them through the worst part of New Mexico to see that they were not harmed by shepherders, mean men, or animals. Mean men. Yes. Mean men. I like that. It was signed AZY, the initials of a cattle rustler whose friend had been killed in a shootout with Abernathy himself. Oh. Jack later said, quote, it just goes to show there's good in all men. He'd have killed me at the drop of a hat, but he was honorable to protect my innocent boys. I like that. That's really that's, cool. Uh, that's on- very honorable right there. Yeah. So, so he wrote AZY on the lead of the bullet? No, he just wrote it all with a bullet. Oh, with the lead of the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, the boys returned home from their harrowing trip filled with a new sense of adventure. When school was about to let out for the summer that year, the boys asked if they could go to New York City to witness the reception of their father's friend, none other than President Roosevelt. The event was scheduled to welcome his return from 15 months abroad on safari in Africa where he was speaking in the capitals of Europe. Jack, being ever the practical father, asked the boys how they planned to pay for their train ticket. Temple said it was all settled. Their round-trip tickets were, quote, out in the barn eating hay. (laughs) The brothers argued that a trip east, although longer, would likely have better roads and more amenities. Jack agreed, and planning was soon underway. Yeah, the East Coast is already full of people by this time. Exactly. So with all the prior media coverage during the Santa Fe trip, by the time they set out for New York in 1910, the Abernathy boys approached celebrity status. Residents of the more sophisticated Eastern cities, first of all, being a celebrity back then is a big deal. Yeah, no one's a celebrity. All you have are papers. Yeah, so it's... You have to be a big deal to be a celebrity back then. It's not like you can buy a bunch of followers in in, in 1896 or whatever this is. Yeah, well, there's no social media. There's no TV. There's no nightly news. There's no radio. It's just word of mouth. Exactly. You have to be enough of a badass that somebody wants to tell their buddy about you. Yes. I mean, you'd have to be an iron cowboy in order for that to happen. That's still not working. No? No, it's not. Okay, back to the story. So... The two kids, after school lets out, they ask their dad, hey, we want to go see Roosevelt, your old buddy, when he's coming back home. And they're still in Texas? In New York, yes, Oklahoma Territory. Yeah, well, okay. And dad goes, okay, but you got to pay for your own train ticket. And they go, no, our train ticket's sitting out in the barn. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they want to do another cross-crunchy track. And basically, they had this celebrity status. As we mentioned, they're going east into New York, where the residents of the sophisticated eastern cities were fascinated by the sheer grit of these young boys, and the legend of their father grew even further. Literal red carpets were unrolled, reception bands were assembled, and speeches were made at almost every town and city they traveled through. One account noted that, quote, kids envied them, Women adored them, and grown men pulled hair from their horses' tails to keep his souvenirs. Give me a break. <laughs> Come on, man. Still, the boys did have long, long All stretches. this, the son of a pianist. Yeah. Right? Like, seriously, the son of a kid who used to play piano. Right. Or from a guy who used to be p- play piano as a kid. Which I think that's almost more impressive. 
playing piano as a child? Well, no. I mean, I suppose they're <laughs> piano prodigies. But like leaving the state by yourself against your parents' wishes and going to hang out with dirty men who shoot each other in a saloon. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. But these these kids, they do have some grit. Okay. So the boys had long, lonely stretches by themselves. The pony Geronimo succumbed to an injury in Hominoy, Oklahoma, and Temple was forced to leave him behind and buy a new horse, a red and white pinto he named Wiley Haynes. Sounds like a great horse. Yeah, it shouldn't be red and white, though. It should be like gold and wood Wood. grain. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So he named him Wiley Haynes. I don't know why the younger brother has weird names for his horses, but there you have. Uh, Temple's Navajo saddle blanket was stolen at a stable in Chicago. That's not good. Unimpressed kids all challenged them to fight, which knowing Bud and Temple, I'm assuming didn't go well for the other kids yeah, I can't at imagine. all. Well, you you wanted to get your ass kicked by these guys. Oh, they totally beat my ass. It was so <laughs> awesome. I suppose they're yeah, celebrity. You got scars for it? Imagine the scars. Ooh. They're pulling, they're pulling uh, hair out of horses' tails. True. Imagine if you had a black eye with a scar on it or a split Ooh. lip. There you go. Yeah. The brothers pressed ahead in driving rain and muddy roads, guided only by directions from one stable to the next. There's no, I mean, there are maps, but if you're going across the country on horseback, you go, well, we're headed east. Where's the next town we can stop at? And they just, up, up there, go that way. Yep. So that's the only thing they had. Bud nearly crushed his leg in a fall, and Temple suffered bronchitis, where a doctor in New Jersey measured his temperature at 103 and ordered him to rest. That's hot. That's not good. That's not good? That's not good. 103 is bad? That's bad. Okay. Even so, the travels afforded them experiences other children only dreamt of. They were invited to pilot a locomotive in St. Louis. They stayed in a firehouse in Cincinnati. They were made deputies for the day in Daytona and were guests of honor at a Halley's Comet viewing party in West Virginia. So... Wait a second. How did they, if they're going to New York City, how'd they get down to Daytona? I don't know. They're taking oh, Dayton. the Dayton. Dayton. Okay. Dayton. That Not makes a lot Daytona. more sense. Dayton, Ohio. Ohio. Got That's it. The one. I was like, wow, they're taking a the long way. <laughs> <laughs> well, just wait for their next adventure. All right. In Washington, the House of Representatives stopped its entire proceedings so members could hear the boys speak of their adventures. Well, they this is how, Washington. This is how you're entertained, though, back then. There was no television, um, no no radio. This is word of mouth and stories and spinning yarns is how everybody is entertained. It's a really important part of culture back then. Yeah, so, I, I mean, wish although, it still was a little bit. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't, didn't have, like, uh, Nancy Pelosi call me up and be like, hey, Chris, come tell me about the Overcrest Rally. <laughs> Actually, you know what I just realized? That's what we're doing. We're sharing stories by word of mouth, literally. In a way, yeah. I yeah. like that. Yeah. All right. So they're at the House of Representatives in New Jersey. They were followed by local armies of small boys riding stick horses, just trying to emulate them. In describing the mob scene at the boys' hotel in Manhattan, the New York Times ran the following headline. Quote, Abernathy boys put ban on kissing. Fearless <laughs> youngsters who have ridden here from Oklahoma mobbed by women. Surrounded by mounted police, they have a triumphal march to their Broadway hotel. Sounds awesome. Triumphant march indeed. Yeah. Girls are just trying to kiss these boys. Phenomenal. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's, it's amazing. Just the riding on their heart. They like just, it's, it's basically like groupies. And, and, oh, 100%. And it's like being the Beatles. Yeah. It's like the, being the Beatles where there's, oh, they God. need police escorts. That's ridiculous. Um, let's. Take a quick minute here before we go on, though. 
to talk about Obert Car Care. Obert Car Care is your source of professional detailing compounds and supplies that is research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. And they truly are great products. You have their two-step cut and buff polishing system. They also released a ceramic spray, and I did see a teaser. They're coming out with their very own wheel cleaner saw as that. well. Wheel cleaner for me is one of the most important things of the entire detail kit. It wheel does cleaner. make the biggest difference. Yeah. And your wheels always get dirty before anything else with Absolutely. your brakes. So right now they're offering a whopping 20% off your order when you use the code OVERCRIST. The code is good not only on obercarcare.com, but also on detailedimage.com and carsuppliesWarehouse.com. Go check them out today. So, after another harrowing adventure, the brothers finally arrive in Manhattan to the swarming crowds and the kissing. No more kissing, they say. <laughs> there, the brothers were joined by their father, Jack, who had arrived by train. They were among the VIPs allowed on one of the ships sent out in a flotilla to greet Roosevelt's arrival. Remember, this whole thing is for Roosevelt coming back from right. his adventure. And they're going to outshine the guy, it seems like. Well, That's just fun. about. <laughs> Bud and Temple rode Sam Bass and Wiley Haynes in a parade just behind Roosevelt and his carriage and in front of his Rough Riders in downtown Manhattan. Oh. Yeah. Did that cause a little bit of... I don't think so. I'm sure those guys were all like, yeah, these guys are cool. Okay. I don't know, but I just love that they put them ahead of his posse. Because all that stuff is planned. You know, that's, Oh, that's, yeah. They yeah. were put there on purpose. At the end of the route, Roosevelt jumped out of his carriage and strode towards the boys with an oversized teddy bear he'd been given, draped in the flags of the world, and created a perfect ending to a perfect day. Quote, here, Temple, this is for you. How cool is that? The president gives you a teddy bear, his namesake, draped in all these flags. You probably don't even know where they're from. It's, and he goes, this is for you. Well, what a teddy bear, though. That's a little on the nose, isn't it? Why didn't he give him a rifle? <laughs> I think someone gave him a teddy bear. He re-gifted the teddy bear? He, he did actually re-gift the teddy bear. You're right. <laughs> that makes it less special. Yeah. So Jack shipped the boys' horses back to Oklahoma, and after a few more days of sightseeing, planned to follow by train. But Bud and Temple had a better idea. During their travels through eastern cities, they were enamored by a new sight, the horseless carriage. Yes. Why simply travel by train back home, they pressed their father, when instead they could buy an automobile and drive it back? Which, in my mind, at this period of time, is impossible. It's impossible. It is not. <laughs> what year is this? 1907? Okay, so early 20th century, nearly impossible to drive to the Oklahoma Territory. It does not seem like a reasonable thing. But hey, these guys, have, their heads are, I mean, they've got a bicycle pump hooked up to their ego with, <laughs> with like 50,000 women having a pump at it every time they come by. That's one way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, the, the ego of these kids is out of control. I mean, they're shooting at wolves at nine years old. Yeah, So that it's, and five. <laughs> Jack, their father, being an old cowboy, was understandably skeptical, but told the boys he would consider the request if they could find a small, simple machine that they'd be able to handle themselves. And he gave them only one day to find it. After searching all day, on their last stop in Manhattan's new auto showrooms, they discovered a small red brush runabout. 
The brush featured a single cylinder, a chain drive, a fuel pump that would help climbing hills, and a price tag of $485. That sounds expensive. I mean, it's not cheap. Yeah, that's expensive. So were they looking because they couldn't find a car for sale or because they couldn't find anything that they think would make it? I think it was, one, it had to make it, and two, it had to be operatable by an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. So they're trying to find this car, and they settle on the Brush runabout. Yeah, so here's, brush, brush is the company? Brush is the company. Brush I haven't heard of company. this company before. No, you wouldn't have. They were only operated for three years or so. I'll get okay. to it here in a minute. Um, but you asked, like, oh, why'd they take all day to do this? Yeah. Here's probably why. The salesman promised that if it broke down on the way, he would pay the freight back and refund their money. Oh, so he's basically like, if it doesn't make it, he's like, I guarantee it'll make it. He's if looking, it doesn't, I'll pay to have it shipped back here and refund your money. He's looking at these kids like, they're going to be dead. This is a good <laughs> bet. He's, there's no way these kids are going to even survive this. It's a uh, good bet. Yeah, well, Bud spent an afternoon on driving lessons, and Jack was inspired to buy a sturdier Maxwell touring car. Oh, wait, so they bought two cars. Well, it was only going to be the one for the kids, but then his dad, Jack, was like, you know what? These are kind of neat. So Jack is there too? Yeah. Okay. He so hasn't the, gone back yet. Remember, okay. he joined the boys for Roosevelt's reception right. by train. Yes. And you so were right. There are out. a lot of Abernathy's going on. Right, right. exactly. So you okay. have the two boys and their dad. The dad joined after their gotcha. giant cross-country trip by horse in New York. And then they're like, all right, we're shipping the horses home. Let's go on the train. And then the boys None said, None of these Let's get cars are easy to operate at this no, period of time. No, 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 no. Just wait. Okay. So dad goes, you know what? This seems actually kind of fun. I'm going to buy a big touring car. And because he's the warden of the West or whatever they call him, he also hired a chauffeur because why not? That's well, less that, fun. That seems, le- that seems super lame. Much less fun. The boys, mostly the older bud, but sometimes also six-year-old Temple, drove themselves. Clad in goggles, they took the car, Chris, and made several detours to explore. They stopped along the way to visit Niagara Falls and the Brush Factory in Detroit. What kind of roads are we talking about here? Out east, you do have good roads. Well, good with in quotes, good. I mean, they're still there's still dirt not roads. Pavement, right. right. Um, let me tell you. But everybody's you, only going eight, eight, 10 miles per hour. <laughs> that, would at, be, that would be nice. Okay, so that's flat out then. Yeah. So here. you're really kind of. I'll, I'll answer your question by telling you more about this car. Okay. So the Bush runabout was touted as the everyman's car with a wooden chassis, two settling gas-powered headlamps provided the light. Does that ring a bell? Yes, we did One a whole episode on episodes. headlights. The frame, axles, and wheels were all made of oak, hickory, or maple. Wider axles were available for the use in the southern region of the U.S., where a 60-inch tread fit the standard wagon ruts on country roads. Okay. So you had basically rutted trails and paths, and apparently 60-inch is the standard, like, wagon, horse-drawn wagon. Right. So like, well, you can buy the optional 60-inch wheels so you get the fit in the ruts. Yes, just for the wheelbase. So right, the wheelbase exactly. matches up. The engine was a single-cylinder, four-stroke, water-cooled design, producing all of six horsepower, driving the rear axle via a chain. Lacking a differential drive, the driver would disengage one of the rear wheels while driving around a corner in order to basically not lock up the rear end. Right. A feature of engines designed by Brush was that they ran counterclockwise instead of the usual clockwise. Why is that a feature? This 
was intended to make them safer for a right-handed person to crank start them by hand. Prior to the invention of the electric starter, crank starting a clockwise running engine frequently resulted in dislocated thumbs and broken forearms if the hand crank kicked back on Well, just think of how you're standing when you're doing this. If it's if you're pushing it with okay, your right so hand. Okay, so they want what? They, your clockwise right, is normal on your right hand. Yeah, but... So you're going like this, and it's going to kick back. Yeah, but you're doing it, like, physically do it. You're doing this. It's right. going the wrong way. So you're you right. Want, so if you go this way... Yeah, you want to be able to turn... Better. You could turn your side towards it and do yeah, it. It would be a lot, like easy, it. lot easier to do. So that was a good... It's a great feature. It is a good feature. And there are photos of the younger brother, six years old, hand-cranking this thing. <laughs> The older brother's at the wheel. He sends his younger brother out front to hand crank this. What makes a lot of sense. Wow. All right. So you know what I think is really impressive as an aside is those is when they would crank start tanks. Have you ever seen that? No. Where they have like a, a big crank on the front and they're cranking a flywheel and they just oh. go and they 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 go and then they and then they lock the thing and they have that inertia from the flywheels kick the motor over. Yeah. Yeah, really awesome. Yeah. Uh, the Cycle and Automobile Trade Journal described the recently introduced brush in a 1907 episode. Episode? Not an episode. It's just an issue. They didn't have podcasts yet. <laughs> they, no, they did no, not. Probably no, not. just magazines. So a 1907 issue as, quote, very, very new and also very, very old, as will be seen from the detailed construction illustrations below. The critique referenced the fact that they had wooden axles, the same as horse-drawn carriage, when... All other cars were still made out of, or like were being made steel. out of steel. Right. Right. Uh, ironically, though, the little runabout, although crude in its simplicity, made the journey without any major breakdowns reported. Come on. Their dad's more luxurious Maxwell tooling car, on the other hand, caught fire along the way, <laughs> burning the boys' souvenirs, including the teddy bear from Roosevelt. Oh, no. I know. I'm you sure thought it were... was weird before, and now you're sad about it. Yeah, that's too bad. You See, you jinxed them. You're the reason. It's a retroactive change. <laughs> yeah. The car was salvageable, and they motored into Oklahoma City on July 30th, arriving as guests of honor at a reception sponsored by the new Oklahoma Auto Club. Ooh, big time. The trip took 23 days to travel the 2,512 miles. How many days? 23 yeah, I guess that sounds about right for being able to go that speed. Six and kind miles of, yeah. an hour. You have to stop and rest. And Imagine it had to have been exhausting. I was going to say boring in comparison to doing it on a horse. You're right. Because, because a horse gives slower. you so much more freedom. And if you're going slow anyway. And you're on these tracks. Like, you know, you're not going to go off into a field necessarily. Right. You're really just stuck. To, but I'm sure the novelty of the car made up for it because this is True. something that's very, this very new. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I'm sure the novelty of it was incredible. Uh, as it is today, it was then. And keen business-minded men soon realized there was money to be made off of the Abernathy's fame. The boys went on to star as themselves in a 1910 silent movie, their Abernathy kids to the rescue. Did you watch it? I watched some of it. it how did this brush company, how were they not able to capitalize hold on, they, on the... Yeah, they did that too. Okay. I'm, well, obviously they I was going to play the silent movie because it's only 10 minutes long, but it's a silent movie. Yeah, I can't really so see too much. Do you want to hear what it's about? 
And there it is. That's the silent no, warrior. I, I, that was so dumb. I'm actually asking you. Oh, yeah. What was it about? I What's have a synopsis. A story of the real wild and woolly Western types, which will arouse your enthusiasm, Ooh. which will bubble your excitement and interest. I want to be aroused and bubbled. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so... To your point, the Brush Motor Company also took advantage of their fame, hiring the brothers as spokesmen during the 1911 Auto Show in New York. Yes, Spokesboys. Spokesboys. Fred Thompson and Skip Dundee, who built the Hippodrome Theater and owned Luna Park on Coney Island, paid Bud and Temple to sit astride the horses on the boardwalk and talk of their adventures. Honey, get the kids! Those Abernathy boys they're, they're are down there. at the Coney yeah. Island. That's a huge draw. I still, how did the brush company not make it after this? If these dudes are, <laughs> if these dudes are that famous. The brush company was bought out by another company. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So yeah. maybe it did work out if they got bought out. True. Maybe yeah. they're like, yeah. yeah. Uh, to keep the boys in the public eye, Thompson and Dundee. Hold on. What is his name? Skip Dundee? Skip that is the Dundee. most just like greasy, like. Skip Dundee? Yeah, he's a he's a conniving like. No, I think he sounds like uh like a guy who'd rest crocodiles. No, that's not that's crocodile. crocodile Dundee. Yeah, same thing. Oh, okay. That's Skip, eh? Right. Skip Dundee. Right. Hey, kids, come over here. No. Your father, he likes to wrestle with wolves. I wrestle with alligators. There you go. So to keep the boys in the public eye, Thompson and Dundee arranged an elephant and donkey race from <laughs> New York to Washington. Oh, no, those poor animals. Ostensibly to predict the winner of the upcoming presidential race. Uh Uh-huh. Get it? Hey, this would make politics a lot more interesting, I have to say. Yes, it would. Accompanied by animal trainers, Bud rode the 7,000-pound elephant, and Temple settled for the donkey. You know that was the big brother saying, no, I get the elephant. Yeah, and And he lost, I'm sure. I'm sure the donkey won, right? Well, unfortunately, the race was called off in Philadelphia when the elephant was too exhausted to continue. Yeah, that's a little bit, I mean... That's a long trek for a 7,000-pound elephant. And... Be- Cruel yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, because I know you're wondering, the presidential race was fittingly won by the Democrat, Woodrow Wilson. Mm. So the race was accurate. My least favorite president. Yeah. Well, I'm, I didn't know that, but... Yeah, he's a terrible president. Okay. Well, blame the elephant. Yes, it's the elephant. <laughs> Not to be thwarted, promoters cooked up an even grander scheme. A $10,000 challenge for the two boys to travel from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific on horsepack in 60 days. Oh. Bud, now 11, and Temple, now 7, would be allowed to rest on Sundays and to sit out bad weather without counting towards the 60-day total. They would be allowed one change of horses. And finally, in an odd and cruel twist, the boys would not be allowed to eat or sleep under a roof. For the duration of the journey. Imagine, so these guys are 10, let's say 10 years old in 1910. Yeah. When they were 50, it was 1950. Imagine the contrast that that these, that that generation, this generation experienced this monumental shift in transportation, finance, politics, war, everything, the whole industrial world, the revolution, all that stuff that happened in that period of time. You went from seeing the first flight to landing on the moon. Oh man, absolutely incredible. We'll, nobody will ever experience anything like unless we really get our shit together with space, nobody's going to experience no, anything like this I ever agree. again. It is the that is the quickest or most like highly revolutionary yeah, time in human history. Especially I mean, obviously you look at the internet, the internet's done a lot yeah, too, but it's not the technical it's advancement. It's not tangible. It's right. 
Exactly. It's yeah. So okay, they're eleven and seven. These okay. promoters said, "We'll give you ten thousand dollars if you make it from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean in sixty days, but you can't sleep this, inside." This, this. Okay, so you how are the how are these inside. promoters expected to get a return on their money? What are they getting for this? Um, I don't know. They buy like that tickets works. to like. A, I don't know, but they got a ton of publicity. The boys did. I don't know how the promoters are making money though. They have to sell tickets to something. I don't know. It's, it's, it's very strange. Um, so, it was on the stroke of midnight, August 11th, 1911, the boys were off on another grand adventure. In dramatic fashion, their horses started from knee-deep water in the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> carrying a flask of seawater to dump in the Pacific at San Francisco's Golden Gate Park. Thousands of vacationers cheered their departure. I can't imagine it's worth that just for those ticket sales. At the beginning? I don't know. If you sold tickets for 10 bucks a piece, that would be a monumental amount of money for a ticket back then, though. Yeah, yeah that I don't wouldn't know. work. This time, however, the boys did not dawdle for receptions or parades. They slept on the ground in bedrolls, and as summer turned into fall, would burrow into haystacks for warmth at night. Some sympathetic towns would have a table laden with food and drink set up outside so the boys could keep their word and never have a meal indoors. Ooh. Others had never heard of them, nor cared to, and chased them off their property when they tried to set up camp. I would, I mean, I suppose there are a lot of people that don't get this word of mouth out Especially there. as you get out to the West. Yeah. You know, it's, this is my land. Get yeah. off my land. I could see that. Yeah. They traveled through the Rockies, over the Continental Divide, into the Great Salt Lake Desert, where they woke up one morning to find their horses were nowhere in sight. Oh, shoot. The boys spent three Well, that's one days good thing that cars don't do. Is run away. <laughs> is run away. They spent, Unless it's a diesel, and then it's by all means certainly <laughs> can. <laughs> also bad. Also bad. Uh, the boys spent three days in the desert searching for the horses. Quote, I think we both suddenly realized that we could die out there in the heat, Temple would say later. We had little food and almost no water left. Without the horses, survival would be almost impossible. But at last, they found one of the horses and caught up with the other in Kelton, Utah, where he had wandered in search of water. So they're going to bed at night in the middle of the desert, and the horses are like, screw this, I'm thirsty. Yeah, I'm going to look for wandering. water. Yeah. And two states over, there they find them. Bolstered with food, drink, and fresh supplies, they followed the railroad tracks out of town. Soon, a westbound train screeched to a stop. The men aboard offered a ride for the boys and their horses, which would spare them three more days of desert riding. Bud did not hesitate. Quote, no, sir, we can't do that. They're breaking our contract. <laughs> well, we'll never tell anyone, said the crew. Another agreed. That's right. No one will ever know. We'd know, Bud said. The exhausted boys pressed on, making it through Nevada to California, then San Francisco and into the Golden Gate Park to dump their flask of Atlantic water into the Pacific. They had covered 3,619 miles on horseback in 62 days, missing the goal by two days, but still setting a record for crossing the continent on horseback, breaking the old mark of 182 days. They did it in a third of the time the previous guy had. Their expenses were $2,800, and their payout was zero. Why was their payout zero? They didn't make it in 60 days. Oh, no. 62 days. What a jerk. Did he really stiff them? Yep. They didn't make it. <laughs> they well, didn't make it. 
Reports noted, however, that stupid neither- horses wandering around. That's yeah, what did that's it. That's what it did it. And the but they were honest. They could have taken the train and saved three days. And they would have made it. They would have made it. But no, sir, we'd know. I like it. Reports noted, however, that neither seemed disheartened at missing out on the prize money. Bud had few words to share. It was too hard. We averaged nearly 60 miles a day when we rode, and it was too far. Temple said, gee, but it's great to get here. I liked the trip all right, but sometimes it got cold. And then I didn't like it too swell. I want the deepest feather bed I can get in this town. I bet. That was the (laughs) (laughs) seven-year-old. The boy's final ride. The guy at seven years old has lived more than most people have these days in their entire lives. Oh, 100%. The boy's final ride came in 1913 when the maker of Indian motorcycles offered a custom-made two-seat twin-engine machine if the boys would travel on it from Oklahoma to New York City. Temple had just turned nine and Bud was 13. The company sent along a second bike for a mechanic to ride along with. Fun fact, it was actually his stepbrother that was the mechanic on the second bike. And some people thought it was because Bud was just sick of talking to Temple the whole time. Oh. After four trips across the country. Just nothing else to say. Right. So they brought the other brother as the mechanic. After teaching themselves to ride the 500-pound cycle, they headed out in June, stopping along the way to give demonstrations and visit dealerships. Roads had improved so much that they were able to hit speeds of up to 70 miles an hour on some of the paved stretches. There is a book, Bud and Me, authored by Temple's wife, Alta Abernathy, where Temple talked of their arrival in New York. Quote, we were salesmen now, not celebrities as before, and we didn't have to deal with reporters and crowds. I missed the excitement, but all in all, I liked it better because we were free to do as we pleased. Although we didn't realize it at the time, our cross-country travels as the Abernathy boys were at an end. At that young age? Yeah. They're done? They were done. They got it out of their system. They did it four times. I suppose as things got easier and easier and easier, it became less and less interesting. Now we take a motorcycle, we can do 70. It's no problem. Less risk. A statue commemorating the Abernathy boys was dedicated on the lawn of the Tillman County Courthouse on April 22, 2006, a month after what would have been Temple's 102nd birthday. Their bronze figures oversees the town's Frederick's annual Abernathy Day celebration, which is held on the first Saturday in June. I'm curious as to what how old they lived. When did they... They actually lived into their late 70s, early 80s. Not bad for guys that like to take risks. I wonder no if kidding. they... And later in their life, do you know if they tried to do anything or... Well, here's the reason the whole kind of coast-to-coast adventure stopped. As their childhood wound down, World War I came oh. into play. The boys enrolled in military school in San Antonio. Temple joined his father in the oil and gas business. And Bud would go on to graduate from the University of Oklahoma Law School, becoming a lawyer and eventually a judge. Near the end of his life, Temple Abernathy said, quote... We'd been royally entertained by some folks and coldly turned away by others, and we'd always faced the question of whether it was worthwhile to go on. I'm glad we always pressed ahead. Yeah, that's that's the motto, right? That's it. Press ahead. Take risks. Do more. Explore. At 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the little-known story of the Abernathy brothers. Kind of the first automotive explorers i guess and yeah it's pretty impressive that they were able to take that brush piece of crap with the wooden axle the brush runabout yeah they were which actually sounded like it was pretty good across the country that's that's really impressive 
pretty amazing, these guys. All right. I want to remind everybody to hop on uh, overcrestproductions.com slash drivers club. You can see a video of this podcast. We did a live stream earlier with everybody about uh, what's going on in our lives and our uh, and our projects, everything like that. Plus, you have access to merch whenever we decide to get there. We've got some merch coming out in the future. You have first crack at that with a, a discount. Whole library of exclusive content. Lots of exclusive content. Lots of exclusive episodes, kind of like this one. So, if you want to help out the podcast, help out Jake and I develop this. Overcrestproductions.com slash Drivers Club. And a link is in the show notes. If you're too lazy to type it out. <laughs> we really appreciate you signing up. That's it for now. We will see you next week. Take care.